we launched the Up API and within a week, we had a thousand data recipients already Bang, A thousand people had signed up for a token. We've had over 600 people already building apps on top of Up. And that was just within a couple of weeks. Within minutes of announcing our API, someone was already tweeting about how they'd already retrieved data and started building a dashboard and so on. And then we've seen really crazy things like in the open banking movement, both in the UK and in Australia and in other parts of Europe and so on, a lot of the time we see price comparison tools or data sharing tools and sort of all this sort of stuff. Whereas with the Up API, the first apps that we saw built, one of them was a monetizing a Spotify playlist so that you vote for your favorite song with your money. And then the highest bid moves it up the up the playlist and things like that. Another one was someone integrated the Up API, the payments mechanism into their home automation system and made their lights change color and flash and made their sprinkler system turn on when you um, paid the money. Another person built an automated system that donated to charities. Hello everyone, my name is Marcel and I'm the host of the podcast interview show Inside the Vacuum, where we speak to founders of fintechs, technology companies and banks about their journey, their war stories of how they founded the company and how they've come all the way to where they are today. Today, I have on the episode Dom Pim from UpBank. He's going to tell us the journey of how the whole thing got started, the challenges they had to overcome and how through the fact that they are a technology company and that they have a contrarian view to many different traditional approaches, they've been able to grab market share and grow in the industry. So, Dom, can you give us a brief introduction of who you are and how you got started? I'm a software developer or have been a software developer. I haven't written code for a long time. But yeah, probably 25 years I've been operating in the sort of software industry and the last decade in sort of fintech and a bit entrepreneurial and I like to invest in businesses and start up new companies and over the last 10 years, I started a bunch of different fintechs in the US, the UK, and in Australia. And some of them yeah, have done better than others. But, but that set the foundation for wanting to disrupt, wanting to be innovative, wanting to think differently, use sort of the confluence of design, technology, and financial services all together, and then do something interesting. That's been my background. And then in terms of up, we, my company, I've got a company called Ferocia, which is what I do on a day-to-day basis. It's a little baby that I started probably with, with my business partner probably 10 years ago, maybe 12 years ago. And it's, the idea originally was just to set up a team of the very best technology people that we've worked with anywhere in the world. That was just as simple as that. We didn't know what technology we'd be working on or what industry we'd operate in. We just wanted to surround ourselves with great people and just build an awesome team that everyone just wanted to work together and come to work every day. And yeah, that was the vision uh, as it stood. We stumbled into banking because we were looking to raise some capital and we were chatting with uh, the managing director of a bank in Australia called Bendigo Bank, which or Bendigo and Adelaide Bank, which is the fifth largest bank in Australia. So there's the four big banks and they dominate 95%, 85% market share. And then there's 100 other banks. Bendigo are the fifth largest behind the big four. And we were chatting with them and saying, there's, look, there's a great technology scene in Australia. There's a, there's a great opportunity here. We're looking to raise some capital and build a team in Melbourne, uh, which is you know, where we're based. And I'd probably say between Melbourne and Sydney, it's a little bit of rivalry, but I, I like to think that Melbourne is a fintech hub of Australia, the Silicon Valley of Australia or whatever. <laughs> and we were chatting with Mike um, and, about raising capital. And he said, look, we've got a tender out to market to build an internet banking system. Is that something you guys do? And at the time, to be honest, we were just two people. <laughs> so, I'm the fifth largest bank in the country. And we we're like, oh, yeah, sure, we could look at that. We'd maybe do a prototype, um, something like that. So that's what we did. 
we did a prototype with them, uh, and that turned into yeah now a a, a platform that has 1.8 million customers, and we do about 10 billion a month through the platform. So it's reasonably successful, and uh, yeah, that was the beginning of the relationship. And then fast forward about six years, we were chatting with Bendigo about building a digital bank, and we said we want to go and build a digital bank, and we've got this great idea and this great name. Up is a great name. Uh, we did tinker with some other names originally. Um, and, and Bendigo were very supportive of that because we developed this sort of trust relationship by building their mobile banking system for them. Um, and so we said, how do you launch a bank in Australia? You need three ingredients, probably the same in any country, but I can talk specifically to Australia. Uh, yeah. You know, in our sort of highly regulated environment, you need a banking license. Um, and to have a banking license, you need reserve capital. So you probably need 100 million just to get started. Uh, and then you need another hundred million to, to hire people and, and build it. So it's going to it's going to be capital intensive. You're going to need a banking license, and you're going to need a core banking system. So our idea was, how do you solve those three problems without doing those things? So in the discussions with Bendigo, we landed on this idea that they already have a banking license as the fifth largest bank in the country. They run about fourteen different brands or ten different brands within their group. Could we launch another bank using their banking license? It's never been done before. And so we had probably spend maybe a year or so with the regulators working out how we could do that. The regulation hadn't changed in Australia yet. So in the last couple of years, so that was in 2017. In 2018, the regulators changed the, the rules so that you can get what they call a restricted banking license. And that's what sort of spearheaded the, the movement of digital banks, neobanks or challenger banks, whatever you want to call them in Australia. And so, yeah, that license didn't exist at the time. So we said, okay, we can use Bendigo's license if we can find a way to do that. We haven't raised any capital at all. ARP has been just purely funded by Ferocia and Bendigo, like just the founding partners. And so not that we won't raise capital, we'd, you know, we'd, we'd probably look to raise capital to grow and everything, but that was how we solved that problem is we said, we'll just fund that ourselves and we won't need to raise all this regulatory capital because Bendigo already have that covered because they already have the license and, and the balance sheet. And then we've been integrated with their core banking system for six years. So could we use that same core banking system and integrate it into the cloud for up. Anyway, long story short, yes, we could. And we launched in 2018. We're the first digital bank to market in Australia. There's a lot of fintech action in Australia. So if you look at some of our most successful companies, they're technology companies, most places around the world. But you know, even more recently, like Afterpay is a, you know, a bit of a darling of the markets at the moment. And they're a $26, $28 billion company. They're a top 20 Australian company. But five years ago, they didn't exist. Uh, and they're just solving a problem, which is an alternative to a credit card, really, solving a problem in finance. So they're probably one of the best examples of a successful fintech in Australia, but there's, there's heaps, heaps of other ones. And then the big international fintechs, PayPal, Stripe, Square, they come out to Australia, TransferWise and so on. They come out to Australia and pretty much open up an operation in Australia, um, and they have local competitors in all those segments as well. And so I would say it's a vibrant scene. I would say that building a bank from scratch seemed quite crazy, but it's something that, you know, was was passionate about. And then we took a non-traditional approach to solving those different problems. And then we became the first of the new sort of neobanks or digital banks to launch in Australia in 2018. So so that's the, the, the background to it. The other thing that's worth saying in terms of rounding out like the introduction is that the the regulatory change that was happening was to introduce this what they call a restricted ADI or restricted authorized deposit taking institution license, a banking license, and and that happened in 2018 after we'd already launched. Um, but it also came along completely coincidentally. Well, not coincidentally, but at the same time, in parallel, open banking movement was happening, and the Australian government was looking at what's happening overseas, what's happening in Europe, what's happening in the UK, what's happening in Asia, and people getting access to their data. 
what we call in Australia now the consumer data rights, which is really interesting. We should talk more about that. But, but just in terms of the introduction, the open banking movement had happened in Europe and the UK, and it was starting to happen in Australia, and the license regime changes were happening with the banking licenses. So those two things combined, and even the maturity of the Australian capital market. So I said they had to raise lots of money, but it's hard to raise money in Australia. We're a small country in, in comparison to a lot of other places in the world. And so you'll, you'll see people raising 100 million, 200 million, 500 million or a billion dollars. In Australia, you might raise 5 million or 10 million. If you see a 20 million or a 50 million raise, that's a big deal. And they're 100 million plus are few and far between. So to raise the sort of capital you need, the, the, the capital market in Australia needed to mature. So in the last five years, the capital market's matured. The banking regulations have changed so you can get a banking license. Um, and then um, the open banking movement has happened. And I think all of those things converging has created kind of the perfect storm to launch a bank in Australia. And so that's what we did. <laughs> wow, that's, a, that's an interesting story. I'd love to dig deeper into sort of what you're, what you're saying about the open banking initiatives that happened. Is, it, is that, how would you say that compares to the uh, European model or the model that we see also trying to be implemented around the world, maybe possibly in the US as well? Yeah. Look, I think that to my knowledge, a lot of the stuff that we're doing in Australia is two, maybe three, four years behind what else has been happening in Europe. So it's actually inspired by what happened there. And, and our governments seem to be particularly influenced by what happens in Singapore, Hong Kong and London, you know, for example. And so looking at those markets and looking at what they're doing and how they're doing it, I think has influenced the thought process, the decision making. But the, the actual legislation that's been passed in Australia is far beyond open banking. So it's called CDR, it's the Consumer Data Rights. And I think Australia is leading the world in, in this idea that the consumer owns their data. So it's the opposite of Facebook or Google or whatever that you see in the US where you are the product, like your data is making them the billions. And so in Australia, that's all changing. It's in the process of changing now. Legislation's come in and really open banking is a subset of the consumer data rights. So to us, the consumer data puts the consumer back in control of their own data. It's starting with allowing third parties to have access to your data, but then beyond that, it's looking at OAuth and authentication of your data. It's also looking at how you can access your own data. It's also looking at how you can protect and monetize your data. So I think over the next 10 years, we're going to see this legislative change, not just in financial services, but across all of the markets and all of the industries in Australia. And banking was chosen as the first industry to adopt it. So hence open banking. So I would say that our open banking is inspired by what's happened overseas, but is actually a subset of this new legislation around consumer data rights. So by being a subset, it's actually more far reaching than what we've seen with other open banking implementations around the world, I would suggest. Like it's in its early stages, but I think that it's definitely worth keeping an eye on. And we love to do things a bit differently, do it, give them our own Australian flavor. And so I think that will actually evolve over time. Now to contrast that, so I'm obviously being very positive about it, but to contrast that, We've recently launched our own API at UP and we're big supporters of the open banking movement and, and making sure that we comply with all the consumer data rights and everything. That officially launched on the 1st of July, so really just you know, a few months ago. And there's been two data recipients that have been registered and that's it. So it's similar to what we saw in the UK where open banking was this big fanfare and then it just seemed to tinker along for two or three years before we saw a lot of stuff really sort of happening. It feels a bit like that in Australia too, is that it's been announced and it started, but the big banks have had to comply in July. It's voluntary for the other banks at the moment, but it'll become mandatory in the coming months. Um, and so a lot of the banks are now looking at how do I comply, not how do I innovate? 
or how do I compete or how do I do something different? And so I think that sort of attitude is more morose and it's, it's a slower moving beast. Uh, and it means that open banking has had, it's past the starting line. It's a long way from the finish line, but it's just meandering. It's not really sprinting. Whereas we launched the UP API and within a week, we had a thousand data recipients already banked. A thousand people had signed up for a token. We've had over 600 people already building apps on top of UP. And that was just within a couple of weeks. Within minutes of announcing our API, someone was already tweeting about how they'd already retrieved data and started building a dashboard and so on. And then we've seen really crazy things like in the open banking movement, both in the UK and in Australia and in other parts of Europe and so on, a lot of the time we see price comparison tools or data sharing tools and sort of all this sort of stuff. Whereas with the UP API, the first apps that we saw built, one of them was a monetizing a Spotify playlist so that you vote for your favorite song with your money. And then the highest bid moves it up the up the playlist and things like that. Another one was someone integrated the UP API, the payments mechanism into their home automation system and made their lights change color and flash and made their sprinkler system turn on when you um, pay the money. Another person built an automated system that donated to charities. So I think that the innovation with an API and what we've been able to do around where we have control and we put the customer in control of their data rather than a third-party data recipient, I think that at least in the short term, what we've seen is more excitement, more fast-moving, more passion from the actual customers themselves to be doing something with it rather than these third parties coming in with price comparison tools or uh, utility tools or get a better uh, deal on your insurance or something like this, which I don't think that's the future of open banking or data sharing at all, but that's where it seemed to have evolved in other countries. So I'd be pretty disappointed if that happened in Australia and that was all that happened. I'd like to see more innovation, more creativity, more design, just a little bit more of just left of field thinking around what we can do. We have access to you know, electronic real-time access to data. Um, and if that data relates to financial services, what are the things that we can reimagine? What are the things that we can reinvent? Not how do I get a better interest rate? So I think that's, uh, I would characterize why our UP API and, and the launch of that has been, it's the same principles that they're based on, but it's, it's a different vibe or a different implementation. The execution is different. We're empowering the end customer whereas the consumer data and the open banking as it sits today is empowering third parties to access the consumer's data. And so no doubt they'll converge over the coming years, but I think at the moment the UP API definitely has the jump on the market. <laughs> wow. that's the, the big question I think most people are asking as they're listening to this is, we're struck like in Europe, banks are still struggling to comply with PSD2 sort of basic requirements. That it, it depends on who you ask and which study you look at, but the compliance rate is somewhere between 25% to 50%. It's not very good. And and these are massive organizations often. What's the secret? How did you guys manage to get this up and running live and people managing their sprinkler, sprinkler system with it? Whereas in Europe, we're still struggling with the bare bones basics or in other parts of the world, of course. But yeah. what, what did you do differently or how, what was your approach? How was your approach different? It's pretty tricky to put your finger on it. But I, I think that our you know, the way we describe it is we say it's technology-led banking rather than banking-led technology. And that's specifically designed as a short phrase to communicate in that way. But a lot of the banks are trying to comply and they're doing the bare minimum 
and they've got big project teams and they're using waterfall, all the traditional things you can imagine. And they've got fixed budgets and fixed timelines and that sort of stuff. Whereas we're coming at it from how do we improve the customer experience? How do we help innovation? How do we uh, improve competition? How do we win new customers' hearts and minds? And we're doing all of that with technology. It's probably summed up like this. Ferocia is an organization of engineers. We don't have a single banker working for UP, right? We, we have a partnership with Bendigo and everybody in the company is a, an engineer, a software engineer, uh, a product person, or directly assisting the customer because we have a whole customer support team now. And so there's no sort of traditional thinking around banking. There's no legacy systems. There's no, just a different sort of a, a approach to it. So I guess what we're saying is that we're a technology company building an API. And the best examples we have of it is that we partnered with Afterpay, who's you know, a, a significant player in the Australian market, and they're obviously becoming more dominant in the US and, and the UK. And I think today or yesterday, they announced their launch in Canada. They're a technology company that is really booming. They're a top 20 Australian company now. We partnered with them a few years ago um, and worked with them to build an API and to build in an OAuth authentication model. And we were able to actually integrate so that we have real-time access to, to the SKU data at, at, at merchants across Australia. And that's unique in the Australian market. Monzo have a partnership in the UK to do something similar, but we have tens of thousands of merchants when we launched on day one, and they launched with half a dozen or whatever. And so I think that there's this innovation happening in Australia that a lot of the rest of the world don't get to see. But the way that we at UP particularly are able to drive it is with this technology mindset, this technology focus. So we hear from Monzo or Revolut or N26 that they're technology companies, blah, 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 blah. But then look at their leadership and their leadership is not technology, it's banking. And so a lot of that thinking is embedded in the way that they solve problems. We have 12 people in our customer support team and we get thousands of inquiries a day and we built our own completely from scratch uh, customer interaction model um, and our average response time is less than two minutes. We don't have 400 people manning the phones or manning a chat bot or whatever. We only have a dozen of them. So we're a very small team, but we have over 250,000 customers. As we scale, we're looking at how do we make it possible for technology to solve those problems rather than a traditional approach to solving those problems. And I, I know we hear a lot of rhetoric about that, but what we've done at, at, uh, at UP is actually deliver on it and, and, and deliver the goods. And albeit we're in a smaller market. So we often like to compare ourselves against the other NEOs in the other markets, but if I look at, say, Germany or France or the UK or the US for that matter, there's 50 million, 100 million, 300 million people. In Australia, we have 25 million people and 18 million adults. So in our demographic, there's probably 5 million uh, people that are our target audience. So for us to have a big hairy goal to capture, say, 2 million of them is, represents a significant portion of the market. And we add, I don't know, 500 to 1,000 new accounts a day. And we've already opened over 800,000 accounts uh, since we launched. And for us to do that in 18 months, 20 months, it's extraordinary because it's such a small market. So we benchmark ourselves against Monzo or N26 or Revolut or whatever, but they're in markets that are far greater in size than, than the Australian market. The other thing that's interesting is the Australian market is actually already very good. The big four banks in Australia have this dominant market share they have billions of dollars. They're amongst the sort of top 25, top 50 banks in the world. And so they've invested very heavily over the last decade or decades into technology. So the banking apps and the mobile banking apps and the web platforms in Australia from the incumbent banks 
are already awesome. Like they're already amazing. So if you're going to launch a digital bank in Australia, you can't just be Revolut. You can't launch Monzo in Australia and expect it to work. It's got to be something better than that. It's got to actually compete with the incumbent banks that already are world leading in what they do. So I think that those sort of ingredients, that technology mindset and that approach to solving that sort of open banking or API problem as engineers and and problem solvers, rather than as how do we make a buck out of this? How do we generate a margin? How do we uh, manage risk? That creates a very negative feedback loop, whereas we try to create a very positive feedback loop and then iterate and improve. And we deliver software, for example, as a technology company, multiple times per day to production. So we set ourselves a goal. Could we launch our banking software and then update it five times a day? That was just our crazy goal. Our current average after doing this for three years is about six times a day. So we're doing a thousand or more, 2000, whatever it is, deployments a year to production. A typical bank might do one or two deployments to production in a year. And a really good bank might do one a month or maybe one a fortnight. But for us to be doing half a dozen a day um, and for customers to be getting updated software just magically in the background and for us to launch new feature after new feature, it's just more like a Facebook or a Twitter or an Instagram or a Square or a Stripe or whatever and a lot less like a bank. Uh, and I think that is the the way that we've been able to take that technology mindset, technology-led banking rather than bank-led technology. The other thing I was thinking is that it's no good just being a technology company, being a design company or being a bank and not being all of those things. So for example, we were the first cloud-hosted retail bank in Australia and we were the first cloud-hosted bank on Google, on GCP in the world. And to do that in 2017 was a big deal. There's other digital banks around the world using AWS or whatever, but in Australia, there were just none. There were no retail banks on, on the cloud at all. And so being the first cloud-hosted retail bank gave us sort of an amount of agility. But then we worked with Apple to be the first uh, bank in Australia to offer instant Apple instant issuance for your Apple Pay wallet. And so banks in Australia had launched Apple Pay three years ago but it was difficult to set it up. You had to fill in forms or you had to wait for your card to arrive and then scan it or you had to go to a branch to ID yourself or whatever. And we, we were the first bank to make it so that you had instant Apple Pay and you could download the app, sign up an account in less than a few minutes. And sure, it was inspired by what we'd seen overseas, but no one had ever done it in Australia before. So I think that after we did that with Apple, we then worked with Google so that we could do it for Google Pay. And we're the first bank in Australia to have instant Google Pay. And then we did it with Samsung. We became the first bank in Australia with instant Samsung Pay. We became the first bank with, and the only bank integrated with Afterpay. And then we did Garmin and Fitbit and so on. So I think that mindset and that sort of confluence of design, technology and banking or financial services has to actually manifest into something. It's no good saying, we're a technology company, we're a technology company, but then not doing anything about it. So what we did is we used that engineering mindset, that technology-led drive, that drive and that different way of solving problems to literally be the first to do things. So, so when we did TransferWise, we were the first, well, I think we were the fifth or sixth bank in the world to do, integrate with TransferWise and we were the first in Australia and in fact, we were the first in all of Asia Pacific to announce the integration. And then I think there was a, a bank in, in, in Singapore that launched maybe a week before we did. So we became the second in Asia, but the first in Australia. Like, like to have that sort of ability, and the way I tell it is like it's a 15-minute meeting. We met with uh, TransferWise in San Francisco, or San Jose, actually, at DC, and, and it was two developers that met with each other, one from up and, and one from TransferWise, and they got chatting and said, oh, it'd be awesome if we could do this integration, and we've done this integration with Monzo and N26, like we should have a think about this. And then they came back to Australia, and I went to a meeting with the TransferWise guys, and I call it the 15-minute meeting. We went in there, 
they showed it was a software developer. So he showed one slide to us, and then we swapped the API keys, and we were done. Like fifteen minutes later, we shook hands to say that we'd you know share the margin. You know, we had a commercial deal, and then that was it. And then we spent the next year solving the regulatory problems because being the first bank in Australia to integrate with TransferWise to, for these foreign transfers was a big deal. Like it took a long time to get through the regulatory things and do sanction screening and fraud and all that sort of stuff you can imagine. Think about it like that. We integrated with, and to bring the two topics together, technology-led and open banking APIs, bring those two things together. Our integration with TransferWise is OAuth-based. It's purely API-driven. Our integration with Afterpay is OAuth-based. It's purely API-driven. And so one of the reasons we've been able to move fast is partnering with, and you've seen it with others in Europe as well, but partnering with organizations that are best of breed, that are already doing something awesome rather than building it ourselves. Now, we actually built the customer interface for Bendigo and Adelaide Bank's mobile banking to do SWIFT transfers, like international transfers using the SWIFT system. Um, And we built that many years ago, but it was a long project with a big budget and it's fairly cumbersome and it's expensive for customers and so on. And it's the same people that built the TransferWise integration, but we built that and it's amazing and everybody loves it. And we, in fact, um, TransferWise said to us that we had more customers sign up and use the integration with TransferWise than any other bank in the world. So in our first week, we reported, uh, it might have even been the first few days, we reported that we had thousands of customers already using the integration. And we don't report all the details, but it just went from there and it just kept growing. Um, And so I think that, yeah, those two things coming together, the use of APIs, the use of open banking, having that technology mindset, having a partnering approach rather than trying to solve every problem ourselves. We're only 63 people. So we're not a big team. We're not hundreds of people or a thousand people. And yet we're competing against some other fintechs and other banks that have tens of thousands, or in the case of the fintechs, maybe thousands or hundreds of people. And so we have to do something smarter. Otherwise, we're not going to be able to compete. So I'm guessing this entire journey wasn't as as nice and clean and uh, simple as somebody might might imagine. What were sort of some of your biggest challenges along the way? What would you say? Oh no, this is this was really a bad road that we took, or this was something that didn't make sense doing it. I think I don't think that we would apply for our own banking license if we did it again because because we were able to get first mover advantage. But if it was now, we might. But back then, I think it made more sense the way that we did it. But what I was getting at was that the direct line to the regulators is something that we opened up that channel, but we can't speak on behalf of Bendigo and they're the licensed entity. And so we have to really collaborate on that and make sure that that we have open lines to the regulators. But if Ferocious talking to the regulators, then we're not representing Bendigo's interest and those sort of things. So I'd say that's something that we could do if we had our time again, we we might be able to do that better. Another thing is that we never raised any capital and in one sense, again, that's really great is to, to be self-funded and to you know run on the smell of an oily rag. Uh, like our marketing budget was nil and a lot of companies say that, but we just didn't have any money for it. So then we then we marketing budget and it was very conservative. Uh, and so I think maybe if I had my time again, if I was starting from scratch now, I would absolutely raise capital um, because I'd want to have a, a runway of maybe five or 10 years. I think two years as an initial period to get moving, a really significant runway maybe with a strategy to raise capital over time so that I didn't have to be distracted with the things that you need to do when you don't have money. So for example, we have to not only manage costs, but we have to also uh, manage revenue. And so for most digital banks, they're able to go, we're venture funded, we can just focus on growth. Uh, We have been able to grow, but we haven't been able to focus on growth. 
we wanted to focus on growth, but we've also had to have part of our minds focused on how do we uh, be sustainable and how do we generate sufficient revenue to keep keep surviving. Another thing I'd say is that we build the fifth largest bank in Australia and we build the, the largest and first neobank in Australia or digital bank in Australia, but we do both of those things at the same time. Maybe if I have my time again, I might just do one. You know, like just have one focus is probably another thing to do. Um, I think they're the main sort of things, regulatory, capital and focus. I'd say they're the areas where there's always room for improvement. I wouldn't say anything stands out. If I, if you ask me that question, my normal response would be nothing. <laughs> I would literally change nothing. But I think I'm trying to be critical and say, what are the things that I could do better at or our team could do better at or our company? What are the things we could do better for our customers? I think they're probably the areas that we'd want to um, do better next time. The other thing is it's part of our philosophy, right? This technology-led mindset. Part of our philosophy is that we iterate and improve all the time. Um, And so I think it's actually a really good question because even if you think you're really good at something, nobody is ever perfect at it and there's always room for improvement. So I'd say they'd be the main areas that we'd want to uh, revisit if we were to do it again. Yeah, obviously for you, there's lots of things to be proud of and you've described all of them and you've superseded many of the players around all around the world. There's many players trying to do what you're doing and with your successes, your sort of leapfrogging potentially many of the European banks in your API efforts, for example. So my big question there is, is there a bigger, not say a bigger vision, but it's the, like a lot of the apps that we see or financial services apps we see in Southeast Asia, so the Vietnams, uh, Singapore, even all the way to Hong Kong, they're all leading towards this WeChat or Grab model, which is a super app that includes basically your whole life. Like you can order pizza, you can order taxi, you can book a doctor's appointment, all of it. Is that in the big vision for up or the API or do you see it as more democratic and more open where the people will build up that infrastructure on top of the API? It's probably twofold. It's not a question anyone's ever asked before, by the way. Um, It's a good question because for us, it's probably twofold. First of all, our strategy uh, and the thing that we focus on is spending and saving for customers. Like that's where we started our journey and that's our core focus. So the way that we've said it in the past is that um, we try to help people spend wisely and save effortlessly. And so our focus and our emphasis in terms of whether it's our API, whether it's our platforms, whether it's our design or our interface user experience, or whether it's our features, our focus is always on how can we help people reconnect with their money? How can we help people de-stress? And how can we help people take control of their finances? How do we help people save better? They're the sort of things that really drive our thinking. So I'd say number one is that we'd probably take a more narrow focus rather than saying we want to do everything in your life and it's a super app. We'd probably say, actually, we want to help you with financial literacy. We want to help you with spending and saving and and do a better job at that rather than saying we want to be part of your entire life. The second part for us is that we want to be integrated into people's lives. So we have a really extraordinarily high level of engagement with with our customer base. Um, and we call our customers upsiders, um, and upsiders love us. We did some analysis of, of the App Store reviews and things, and we are currently today the highest rated banking app in Australia, in both the App Store and in the Google Play Store. And we hit number one position within a year from launch. So for us, and it's not insignificant, like we have over 10,000 reviews. So like if we had three reviews or something, it's different. Right? But, um, so, so we have significant number of reviews, and we have significant number of people who literally put into the review that they love us. And we, we just as an exercise, we did a search across all the banks in Australia to see which ones uh, their customers genuinely love them and actually come out and give them love hearts and say they love them. And it's a little bit like the Monzo effect in the UK. Uh, I was in the UK when Monzo was launching 
And you could just feel that there was this excitement about you know, what was happening. It's a little bit like that in Australia with us is that our customers are providing these reviews, sort of five-star reviews. So we're 4.9 stars in the App Store and in the Google Play Store. Um, and, and our customers are providing those reviews, but then they're writing, this has changed my life. This has helped me save. I never thought I could save before. Um, this has changed the way I spend. Uh, this has changed the way I interact with my money. My partner and I are now getting along, whatever it is. But like, so for us, it's not about doing all the things like ordering pizzas and ordering taxis and whatever else. It's about making your financial part of doing all those things really easy. Um, and automated if possible. So we're the first bank that we know of and the first bank in Australia to introduce automation in terms of predicting your future spend. Um, and so, you know, we launched that capability years ago um, and it's become one of our most popular features. We do crowdsourcing amongst our customers to identify this type of stuff, but the technology that we're using, it took us seven years to build it. It's not something that we just built like yesterday on the weekend. We actually built a merchant identification system and our own category taxonomy and because we invented it and built it, every other digital bank in the world now is doing something, whether they're using Plaid or whether they're using Look Who's Charging or whether they're building their own thing. But we pioneered that seven years ago in our mobile banking system. And then simple things. I can give you some examples like every digital bank in the world that you log into now doesn't, or nearly every digital bank, doesn't land on an accounts page. It lands on what we would call an activity feed. In 2014, we launched our banking app actually in Barcelona and we're in London for a fintech conference and Barcelona for a fintech conference. And so we announced our, our platform that we were building. This is before up, right? And one of the innovations was that instead of having pagination for your, for your landing on the accounts page and then clicking on it and having pagination for your transactions with 20 or 50 on a page or whatever, we had an infinitely scrolling activity feed and it had what we called all of your financial life. So all of your accounts merged into one. Now that sounds like a very simple concept, I don't think there's a digital bank in the world today that doesn't have that by default. But back in 2014, no bank had that. It wouldn't matter whether you're with Citibank or HSBC or Santander or Lloyd's or whoever you're with. None of those banks had even thought of that. They just had that very traditional approach to banking. And so that's a pretty dumb example because all banks have it now. But I'm just using it as an example to say that's thinking differently about how the customer interacts. So our customers now see their historical spend and their future spend. And their future spend is all identified because of the foundations that we built in not only the activity feed, but also in the merchant categorization and the category taxonomy. And so we're able to identify with the SKU data what people are buying. We're able to identify with the merchants what, what their history is going to look like and then what their, what their future is going to look like. It's just a, it's a different way of thinking about your engagement with money. Um, and so, for example, it's easy to have a future and recurring payment and to put that in an upcoming list and say, oh, we can see you're going to spend money on this utilities bill. That's easy. But how do you know that someone's going to spend money on, say, a Netflix subscription? Or how do you know that they've got a mobile phone bill or an insurance thing or whatever? And so for us, it's about helping people understand their financial life, reconnect with their money, and then plan for the future. And so when most banks would measure engagement as, and they'd say active customers, we've got X number of active customers uh, they'd measure it one trans in Australia anyway, one transaction a month. If you're offering some bonus interest or some discounted subscription or whatever, then you might measure five transactions a month. We actually measured number of transactions for our active customers per day. Like our customers are interacting with up like astronomically. So first of all, they're saying they love us, which is really great. Then we have an NPS score that's, you know, awesome. And then we have customers that are actually using it all the time. So just to go back to the question. We don't see ourselves in our long-term vision as being all things to all people. We see ourselves as being the number one bank in Australia for under 35s, so very specific. 
And then we, we see ourselves as, as embedding with people's financial life and making it automated and easy and predictive and awesome. We don't see ourselves ordering pizzas or booking hotels or making flights. Yeah. So I think that they're the ways that we potentially differ. We've seen the use of super app in many industries now um, and in the fintechs or the banking sector, Revolut is the classic. Actually, the features that they offer are no different than the features that the Australian incumbents already offer. And they don't call them super apps. They're just banking apps. So, I, you know, I, I, I think that there's marketing and then there's delivery. And I think that some of the neobanks are really good at the marketing stuff, but not so good at the delivery. Some are really good at delivery and not so good at marketing. We, we try to be good at both. We try not to talk about the things that we haven't done yet. We talk about the things that we've already done and they're live in the market and customers are actually using them and interacting with them. And we just found that's a more honest and more transparent way to represent our brand and who we are. Um, and what that has turned into is not only a love for the brand, but a highly engaged customer base where other digital banks might be targeting 10% or 20% of their customers depositing their salary. We have nearly 50% of our customers depositing either a salary or over $1,000 a month consecutively. So what does that tell us? That tells us that they're choosing up already and we're not even two years old yet. And they're choosing us as their primary financial institution. And we've never set out, we've never gone out with a mission to make ourselves someone's primary financial institution. We've gone out with a mission to, to help people reconnect with their money, help them with financial literacy, help them to spend wisely and save effortlessly. And the result, the outcome is that they make us their primary financial institution. Do you know what I mean? So how... How do you reconcile that? So you go with a goal of just let's make something that's useful, not with a big vision, vision and, and this big thing that you're going to transform and change the world. How, how do you think about it? like how do you yeah, how do you reconcile that with what's in the market? You need to build like a roadmap for acquiring this size of the market. And how do you think about that? I think we're a little bit contrary and a little bit different. Uh, and I think that the intersection we were talking about with design. So design thinking is, is something that it's the hot topic. Everyone's talking about it for the last decade and all the companies are transforming and everyone's design led and all this stuff. We don't talk about it. We just do it. Like we just build awesome stuff. And I'll give you an example. All around the world at the moment, there's all this talk about how many clicks does it take to make a payment or how many clicks does it take to sign up and all that sort of stuff. We don't give a shit how many it takes. We actually take a contrary view. Our view is that how does it feel? When you sign up for up, does it feel easy or does it feel hard? If you've got 20 clicks or 100 clicks, it doesn't matter. We use an atomic method for form engagement with our customers, which means we only ask for one thing on a screen. Now, I can reduce the clicks from 20 to 10 or 5 or 1 by putting all the fields on one screen, but it's a horrible experience and it makes you feel awful. So we take the opposite approach, this contrary approach, where we have an atomic design method where you, we only ever ask the customer for one thing on a screen. Now, that means they might have to go through a 100 screens to do something, but it doesn't feel like that to them. It feels like they just solved it in 15 seconds. Uh, and our average time to sign up a bank account is two minutes and 12 seconds, right? Now, that's extraordinary when it used to take three days in Australia to sign up a bank account. Now, it wouldn't matter if it was 12 minutes. The fact that it's two minutes is unbelievable, but it wouldn't matter because it feels really good to our customers. So I would just say, in answer to your question, we don't approach it with this big, hairy, audacious goal. There's nothing more to our goal than let's be the number one bank for under 35s in Australia. That's it. And it didn't even used to be that. We used to say, let's be the fifth largest bank. But then we partnered with Bendigo. They're already the fifth largest bank. And, and all the customers we get are their customers. So from our perspective, we're just going to make them more of the fifth largest. You know what I mean? So we had to think of something that was unique to us. Um, and given that 50% of our customers 
are aged between 16 and 25. Our, our largest age group of customers is 21. Our average age group of customers is 24. But for us, it's a very young customer base. And we can see that over many decades, we can grow with these customers and we can help them with their mortgage. We can help them with their superannuation, their retirement planning. We can help them with their insurance. We can help them with their travel. All those things we can help them with over time, but we don't have to have all of those features coming out of the gate. Let me tell you this. It's another good way to answer the question. To our knowledge, we were the first bank to launch where you could put your money in, but you couldn't get it out. So we launched in October 2018. We'd already been in production for a year. We launched internally within 2017, but we launched publicly in 2018 in October. And it wasn't until late November that we actually launched the ability to make payments. And during that time, we must have signed up 10, 20, 30,000 customers, whatever. And those customers trusted us that they'd put their money into our bank and they wouldn't yet be able to get it out. And we weren't afraid to do that. And that's really ballsy. To do that uh, and to launch, people would say, you're not ready, don't launch yet. And we said, no. We are ready. We just want to launch these things in stages and then iterate and improve on them. So, of course, we had a digital wallet. So you could spend money if you wanted to using your mobile phone, but you couldn't transfer the money out somewhere else because we hadn't built that feature yet. And so over the first year of our existence, we actually built all of these building blocks uh, on top of what we launched with. And I think that sort of technology mindset, that sort of startup approach and that sort of minimum viable product approach, it's just not commonplace because most bankers are thinking about risk and thinking about, shit, what would the liability of that be? And what happens if we get sued? Or what are the regulators going to think? And all this stuff. It's not that we don't think of those things, but we just attack them from a different perspective. And we felt that if we could launch in October and then iterate and do half a dozen deployments a day, then within six, eight weeks, we would have all these features that customers were suddenly saying they needed or urgently needed, but they were really happy without them. The number one requested feature that we have is joint accounts. And yet less than 5% of the Australian population have joint accounts. So if you use common sense, you would say, don't need to build joint accounts. Now, we're not that silly. Like We're happy to capture it. But we said, what if 95% of Australians could have a shared account or a joint account? And they were a sports team or roommates, or a shared house, or a small business, or a husband and wife, or a mother and a daughter, or a same-sex couple, or, you know, 95% of the population don't have joint accounts because joint accounts are for married couples to buy a mortgage, you get a mortgage. So our view was, how do you think about that from a technology perspective? How do you make it really awesome and easy to join your account with someone else? And we call it multiplayer banking, right? So our first product that we're launching, it's not launching, but, but the first product that we're launching is called Two Up. And so you've got your up account and then you nominate who your two up is and your two up is your better half. It could be your business partner. It could be your brother, your sister, your mum, or it could be your married partner or your life partner. And, and it's no longer constrained to the banking core way of thinking like, oh, the core banking system only supports joint accounts when they both provide identification and they provide a marriage certificate. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? It's yeah, just a yeah. weird way of thinking about it. So it was like, if I want to share my finances with someone else, how do I build that? Anyway, my point was simply that it's going to be awesome. We're going to release it later this year. But my point was more that we don't have that feature today. And for nearly two years, lots of customers have been asking for it. It's our number one requested feature, but we're hastening slowly. We're going to build something that the customers are going to be blown away by because no other bank in Australia has anything like it. And there's some banks in the world that have been tinkering with this sort of idea. But so for us, it's, it's, it, how do you approach that big, hairy problem is you just have a goal. Our goal is to be number one at under 35. So that's simple as that. And then, and then we iterate and improve at such a rapid pace that it doesn't matter if we don't have something today because we'll have it tomorrow. And my final piece is that we have this public roadmap called the tree of up. 
Um, and a lot of tech companies and, and some of the banks, Monzo was one of the early adopters of it, of having a Trello board or having a blog post or having a list of features that are upcoming. And that's fine. That's a perfectly good way to do it. We went back to the drawing board again and said, if we had um, a completely blank canvas, how would we want to communicate not only what's coming soon, but what we've built, we're currently building, what we're going to build, and the context of decision-making. Why do we make these decisions? Why don't we have joint accounts? Can we join accounts until we have accounts? We can accounts until we have a license. We can, and you can follow the tree of up. If you look at it, it's this visualization. It's like a technology tree from a computer game. And that's where it's yep. inspired from. Um, and so the tree of up transparently communicates our brain, our way of thinking, is that the way to become the number one bank for under 35s in Australia is to deliver something that's different that the under 35s want that no other bank offers. But it's hard to explain that. But if I put a picture in front of people where they can see these guys built a spending account first, then they built a savings account, then they built the ability to make payments, then they added real-time payments, then they added an up name so that I can generate a QR code. And I can just see that logically in order and I can see the branches playing out. And then they see joint accounts as the next thing that's coming. They go, aha. And it's like an aha moment. There's logic to the way that these guys are thinking. They're not just making it up as they go along. Um, We published the roadmap, the tree of up. And a year later, we've been updating it. So I think it's nearly a year. We launched it in September last year. So it's nearly a year since it launched. And what you've seen is instead of it growing, it does grow. We add new things to it. But instead of it just growing, you've seen the color of it change over time because we color code the things when we've finished them. And originally we had timeframes on it as well. So we literally committed to a month or a quarter that we would deliver that thing. Um, We found that was a bit crazy because we change our minds on things or we change our priorities or pandemic, global pandemic happens or whatever. But things change. And when those things change, you want to be dynamic and flexible enough to change. But I think that the tree of up is the manifestation of our thinking. So the answer to your question is actually shown, it's visual, it's obvious when you look at the tree of up, is that the way we think about building a bank is in very small pieces and very rapidly iterating, which means that we hasten slowly, but we end up with a better product with better engagement and better retention than any other bank. Yeah, actually the tree the, the tree of up is actually something I shared with my team because we're putting together something we're calling the what the fintech spellbook, which is like explaining to the world like the basics of fintech to the people who are trying to enter the industry, but maybe don't know the, all the terms. I was like, Guys, we need something like this. We need to put something like this tree of up because it perfectly, although it is your roadmap, it is actually a beautiful way of describing of how banking revolves from this very basic, almost medieval model of let's put money into a vault and track it on a piece of paper on a ledger to all the cool things that happen today, like, you know, Apple pays and the shared accounts and all of this. Like, it's a perfect example of it. So absolutely, I love it. I know we're coming up on the time that we scheduled for this. So there's one thing that I really wanted to ask you, and that is the brand just shouts, I don't want to say cool, but it shouts like gaming. It it shouts rock concert. It shouts, it, it just shouts at you in a positive way. What was the, the thinking behind it? Like, how did you arrive at such a bold sort of design and view, which I guess I haven't seen a bank that use such bold branding for their app anywhere. <laughs> yep. Yep. No, I, I agree. We, we wanted to do something different and we wanted to do something that didn't just feel like another bank. And as much as I love Monzo, N26, Revolut, New Bank, whatever, I love all these other banks and what they're doing. And I'm a customer of all these other banks and everything, as you can imagine. But but a lot of them feel to me like they're just doing banking and they're necessarily, 
with their own banking license and so on, conservative in their approach to things. And even though they shake it up a little bit around the edges, they're not really doing it drastically different. So I think that we went into it with a mindset that if we're going to do this, let's do it the way we want to do it. And let's do it as if we were building a surfing brand or a skateboarding brand or a music brand. Let's let, you know, I used to run a record label back in the day and uh, we were an independent label, but we had, you know, a number one song in Australia and all this sort of stuff. Um, and we managed bands and all that and did crazy stuff and, and go touring and all this sort of stuff. And it's rock and roll, man. Like it's awesome. And, and we used to go surfing down at, you know, the local you know, Bells Beach or Gunnamatta or whatever and go out on these, you know, th- uh, three meter swells and all this. And, and that's a feeling. And so what we wanted to do with this was not build a bank. We wanted to build a feeling. And it's a feeling of connectedness with your money and your financial life. And people talk about learning at school and people say you learn maths, but you don't learn uh, accounting or you don't learn how to manage your money. We, We wanted to take it like one step further. You don't learn how to be financially literate. You learn the ingredients, the foundations, and how could we help people take them on a journey and not do it for them? Like automation can do things for you, but how do we actually help people learn along that journey and take them on that way and make it fun? Don't make it boring as batshit. That's what everyone else is doing. And, and don't make it blue. Like every bank in the world is blue. Can you choose a different color and can you own that color? And can you make it so that people want to open up the app? People want to engage with you. And our customers open up and then send us text messages. We have a, a, what we call talk to us, which is a little it's like a chat tool that's built into the app. And our customers send messages through all the time. And we didn't want it to be a support tool. We called it talk to us because you can literally talk to us. And you can say to us, I've got this great idea for your bank, or this is the way I manage my finances. Or you can say, I've got this problem, there's a bug. Or you can say, I need help, I've lost my my card or it's been stolen. So you can do customer support through it, but it's more about opening a dialogue and having a conversation. So for us, it was like, that is the manifestation. If we're going to build something that is just awesome and that we would love um, and that our customers love, then it becomes something more. It's transcend being a bank. It's now something that people want to use and want to embed in their life. And when people say they love it, or when people say to us, I've never experienced a bank like this, or I've never thought that I would you know, like my bank, or I never thought that I would want to open my banking app or whatever. When people say those things to us, you get this nice feeling in your heart, like shit, like that's what we're trying to do. And we've actually, we've, we've really done that. And yeah, I think it is very different. I think that New Bank in uh, South America have an interesting business. It's, they're much bigger than us and they've been going for quite some time. And it's more of a credit-based model, but I do think that their branding is design influenced. And I think it's really interesting. So when I look around the world, I look at probably Bunk in Europe and, uh, and New Bank in South America as the closest thing, but I still see Up as still being far different than even those two, for example. So yeah, so we're very proud of it, but we're also we're pretty humble about it too. Like you're asking the question, so I'm answering it, but we don't really go and scream it from the rooftop or anything. Like we don't really make a big deal about it. We're not in all the design magazines or all the design blogs and everything. And I can give you one other example. Design is not a visual aesthetic. Like a lot of people confuse it with that. They think, okay, it looks pretty, but that's not design. Design is form. It's function. It's, it's interaction. And, 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 you know, I'm not trying to reinvent what the word design means. I'm just saying that the real meaning of design, it, it comes into the feeling that you get when you interact with something. How does it feel? How does it feel to you? What impact does it have on your emotion? That's when real design works really well. So for us, we said, what are the ways that we interact with people? We interact with people through the app. We interact with people through their physical card. And we, the only time that we have a physical interaction with our customers is when we send them the welcome pack. So digital banks all over the world are sending crazy welcome packs. They spend $100, they build these crazy things, whatever. To us, that's not design at all. 
like design is how do you build something that is cost effective that costs less than a trifold piece of paper and a, and a plain envelope, um, which is what a normal bank sends out with a bit of glue on it. You know? So how do you do something that, that costs less than that? How do you do something that's recyclable and also made from recyclable material um, or recycled material? How do you uh, build something that is striking when you get it? You get the aha or the wow moment when you first see it. How do you build something that actually helps people with financial literacy? So these were the sort of constraints that we set ourselves. And then we said, how do you design a, a solution for that problem? And so we now deliver our welcome pack to customers and it's made from this recycled board. It's made on a centuries old Heidelberg press. It's made by a local business that we support. We, we, we represent probably 80% of their business because, because up has been growing so fast and everything, but they're a small business that, that we're trying to support in the manufacture of this. We actually had custom made envelopes because we could get them made cheaper. We looked at how we could reduce the weight of, of the object so that we could reduce the postage, like all of these things. So now it costs less for us to ship our awesome welcome pack. Our customers get it and they get a pack of stickers and they get this great design. They flip it over and there's a savings plan on the back of it. They can stick it on the fridge and they can save up their money and learn something. So we solved all these problems by setting ourselves these crazy constraints and it is cheaper for us to do that than it would be to send out an A4 piece of paper in a regular DL envelope. So that to me is the, it encompasses the essence of design is not that it looks pretty. Looking pretty is part of it, but it's all these other things, the interaction and the feeling and the form and the function of it that's really important. So for me, technology-led is how we engineer solutions and then design-led is how we create a feeling for our customers. And our brand encompasses both the technology aspect and the design aspect. And I think that idea about the brand has evolved over five years before we even launched. It's not something that we just sat in a room and went, hey, we're going to create this awesome brand. That doesn't happen. We, we, we actually had a different brand when we first launched, but we felt that the word up is a very powerful word because N26, Monzo, Revolut, in Australia, we've got Zinja, 86400, Volt, all these things. They're completely made up words. We, we, we call them Web3 words. You know, They're not really things that people can associate with. And so what you have to do with a Revolut or a Monzo or an, in Australia, 86400 or Zinja or whatever, you have to build the connection with that word. Whereas with up, what does it mean? It means to aspire higher. It means to ascend. It, it has a positive connotation already. So for us, in choosing the word up and then protecting it and finding ways to build around it and everything and, and adding the triangle to the logo and all this sort of stuff, um, all of those things were done with conscious thought, but they evolved over time into the brand that we now all love. And I, I was walking down the main street in Melbourne um, back in January before the pandemic. And I'm walking down the street, there's, I don't know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people, whatever. And someone's walking towards me wearing an up t-shirt and I stick up my hand and we get a high five. I don't even know this person, but that feeling is that they're proud enough to wear an up t-shirt. Like they wear it to work. They probably work at another bank. Like that's the thing because it's a cheeky brand as well. So I think that we do get contacted by people who say, I work at this other bank, but I wear my up t-shirt or my up hat or this sort of thing. So yeah, I think that it's years worth of uh, development. It's not something that sort of happens overnight and it comes from a, a place of passion and love. And then that, the, the team manifestation of that love actually comes out in the brand. And so, yeah, so it's very well thought through, but it's also rapidly evolving. You know, when we first launched, we didn't have the triangle. We just had the word up and then we added the triangle and now the triangle has become who we are. There's no other bank that owns a triangle in the way that we own a triangle. And so that for us has become part of our sort of, our language. And, and, and in fact, we have a little character now, a little up character, and it's a little triangle wearing sunglasses. And we use that sometimes more than we use the word up. 
uh, and people just instantly know that's up. It's like the Nike and the swoosh. Like people just know that that represents up. So, yeah, so I'd say that it's come from a place of, of passion and it's come from a place of love in our heart and then that manifests through the brand. Other brands that we like around the world that we've seen do this sort of stuff, for example, the Virgin is a brand that's very strong and transcends industries and people have a connection connectivity with it, a connection with it. Apple is another one that people just love it. And, and once an Apple fan, always an Apple fan, you know, like generally speaking, you know, like people yeah. really get passionate about it and then become advocates for it. And so, yeah, we look at that other brands around the world that have been able to achieve that. And we think it's a much harder road if you're using a web three name that you can't spell or that you have to help people spell or whatever. So, so for us being a natural dictionary word and then having that love and passion really helped us to make the choice to be different and be bold and not be as um, concerned about risk as everyone else is. So if people are listening to this and they're really excited because they would love to try this out, but if they're not in Australia, they cannot. Yeah, so it's only under the regulatory regime, it's only available to people who are either Australian citizens or Australian residents. So you just have to, if you're a student or a traveller or whatever, you can get an up account. You can use foreign passports. So we've had customers sign up from over 150,000 countries, 150 countries. But so you can use a foreign passport to sign up, but you need to have a residential address. So you need to be a, a resident in order to sign up. Um, you don't have yeah. to be a citizen. <laughs> yeah. All right. So um, I traveled to Australia for a week. I, I, I somehow find a residence just to get the cool <laughs> the, card and, and app and everything, <laughs> yeah. which, Look, is, which really isn't really optimal at this time. Yeah. It's really interesting for us to also see that not only is up loved in Australia, and not only have we had over 150 nationalities signing up for up, but we've also seen up used in over 185 countries. So up itself is a global tool that people use when they travel, and that's been really amazing because we get photos from people from all over the world of in front of the Eiffel Tower or at Big Ben or whatever it is holding up their up card, and, and that has been quite incredible as well because we built it for Australians in Australia. And we didn't anticipate the global reach, but we don't charge uh, foreign exchange fees. We have no markup and we don't have any fees at all. And so uh, people are just using up as a travel card in the same way that they might use your Revolut or, or a traditional travel card or traveler's checks or whatever. And, and so that's been really interesting for us to see as well, because we're now getting in, you and I are chatting because people internationally are seeing what's happening in Australia with up. And so I think that's really been a fascinating part of the journey as well. Yeah, it's just the brand, the website, the, what you're doing, how you're building. It just shouts uh, uh, through all the noise in, in, in fintech and in banking. And I think that's a, a that's huge praise for you and your team and how you've been able to build it out, out and build up the not only the the, the visual, the, the, the actual user design of it and then the technology behind it, because once all three of these things work and they work in combination, you're actually getting this magical effect that you're not getting with many banks and many fintechs out there because they're really coming in either from a too technology-driven background or, which is more common, to financial services and banking-driven background, which actually it makes those applications very much just another version of the bank that the person previously worked at, which is yep. uh, disappointing sometimes to see. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Hey, uh, it's been totally awesome. Like, it's been really awesome. I think, you, like I said, your questions are actually very insightful as well. Um, and I, just to hear from other people that are on the other side of the world how we're doing and, and to be able to benchmark and, and, and measure that and hear that firsthand, really appreciate it. So thanks very much for having me on. Thank you, Don. This has been very fun, and I hope we get to talk at some point in the future. <laughs>